Foster, I think it's got. Deuteronomy, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's read the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, that, they might, that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these commandments which I command thee this day shall be in thine hearts. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word, and we thank you for this precious book that you have given unto us. We thank you that we can trust it and depend upon it. We know that, Father, in our possession we have uh, that uh, divinely inspired truth, that revelation from God. We thank you, Father God, that you gave it unto us, that we might read it and study it, we might understand it, we might get to know you better, and get to know what you require of us as your servants. And we do pray that, Lord, tonight, as we open up your word, as we break forth the bread of life, so to speak, we pray, Father God, that we would tonight be refreshed by your word, be blessed by it, encouraged by it, challenged by it. Lord, give me wisdom, I pray, and use me for your glory tonight. And just may you be exalted as we leave this place this night. May we know that we've been in your presence. May we be able to say hallelujah. What a savior. Bless now we pray. As we say your word together for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying on Sunday nights when I preach the character of of God. And we've seen so far that God is spirit. God is not a spirit, but God is spirit, speaking about the very nature of God. And last time we started to consider the unity of God, which means God is undivided and God is indivisible. Well, that God does not consist of parts, nor can he be divided into parts. We believe in one God. God is not only one, but God also is the only one. And we said last time that since God is one, and since he is the only one, then there is only one God who you and I should love and who you and I should serve. And last time we had of Deuteronomy chapter 6, we saw the statement of God's unity in verse 4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There is only one God. There is no more gods than him. He is the only God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That was the statement of God's unity. Now tonight, let's consider the significance 
of God's unity? Or what does it mean to us? What does it matter that God is one? What's significant about that for you and I? Well, firstly, because there is only one God, it means that we should love God unreservedly. We should love God unreservedly. It says there in verse 5, this is following on from verse 4, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 states the fact that God is one, that there's only one God. And then Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5 tells us what that means to us. Because there's only one God, what should we, how should we respond to him? What is the response that's required of you and I if there's only one God? And the response that God requires from us is that we love uh, God. Now this statement is repeated three times in the New Testament. It's repeated in Matthew 27 and verse 30, 22, verse 37, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, and Luke chapter 10 and verse 27. And so the New Testament repeats this very phrase. In fact, it adds, with all thy mind, in two of those passages in the New Testament. So this phrase, this statement of loving God, is not just an Old Testament concept. This is also a New Testament principle. That what God requires of you and I, because God is one, is that you and I should love our God. In fact, since there is but one God, the Lord says to Israel here, or Moses speaking on behalf of the Lord here, says to Israel here in this chapter, he says, because there is one God, and that God is Israel's God, then Israel must love God unreservedly. And it's equally true for you and I who are saved. We've got to love God unreservedly. You and I need to love Him, as we'll see, with all of our heart and soul and our might. Now, if we're going to love God the way that God wants us to love Him, then it's important that we not only know about God, but that we know God. That we understand who God is. We understand who this God is that you and I love. Who this God is that we're supposed to love. Who is He? Hence, the, core, the study that we've embarked upon here on Sunday evenings in the understanding of the character of God, because if you and I are going to love Him, we need to know Him. Because to know Him is indeed to love Him. Knowing God enables you and I to act rightly towards Him. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 informs us that what God most wants from us as his children is that we is our love. And that we love him with that reservation. That you and I love him absolutely. You know, we often think that what God demands of us as believers is that God demands a hundred things from us. That God wants our money, he wants our time, he wants our effort, he wants our will, he wants our submission, and you can list the list as long as your arm about what we believe God wants from us. But the truth is, what God really wants from you and me is our love. God just wants you and I to love Him as He loves us. But when we really love the Lord with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might, then we'll freely give everything else to the Lord. 
The truth is, if you and I give to God all the rest, if you and I give God our money, our time, our effort, and so forth, we give Him all these things, but we don't love Him, we don't give Him our love, then the rest is a waste of time and a waste of effort. You see, if you and I love the Lord, it will produce within us a passion and desire to serve Him, to do things for Him, to give for Him. But if you and I simply do this because we fear our God, but we don't love Him, then it's a pointless exercise. Because what God really wants from you and I is that we love Him. That's the command here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord... Uh, uh, Hero Israel verse 4 says the Lord our God is one Lord and the response to that is what? that thou shalt love the Lord thy God one commentator said because there is one God there is but one person who deserves our undivided wholehearted affection and that is God and as believers we must give God our undivided affection because he alone is God, and therefore he alone is worthy of our love. We ought to love him supremely. You know, the first and the greatest commandment is that thou shalt love the Lord thy God. The Lord repeated that numerous times in the New Testament. This is the greatest commandment. We're to love the Lord our God. Somebody said, because there is... Excuse me. Because there is only one true and living God, we cannot divide our love and attention between God and other lesser gods. If you and I divide our love between God and other things that are lesser gods, then you and I effectively completely reject the Lord. And the truth is we can't serve two masters. Look in Luke, please. Luke chapter 16. <coughs> Excuse me. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. For you'll hate the one and love the other, or else you'll hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We can't serve both, we can't love both. The truth is, however, that all of us can be tempted to love something other than God. You and I can all be tempted to make something other than God a God in our lives. That's why God commands this command of us, because it is we potentially, all of us, can have lesser gods. All of us can love other things more than we love God. An example of this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4. Speaking about the perilous times in which we live and the character of mankind today, it says in verse 4, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. You know, there are some believers who make a God out of pleasure. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. One commentator said this, they pursue happiness above all else. 
And in doing so, by themselves, their own destructive lust, they might do harmless things for fun, for the fun of it. And then as pleasure consumes their affection, they believe they deserve it, even if it's harmful or sinful. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Yet you know, the Bible tells us in Psalm 16 and verse 11, that serving God is the ultimate pleasure. If you and I really want to have pleasure, if you and I really want to have joy in this life, the place to find genuine joy and genuine pleasure is not in the things of this world, but it's in God. Look what it says in Psalm 16, please. Psalm 16. Psalm 16 and verse 11. It says, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. A great verse. <laughs> In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Serving God is the ultimate pleasure. Spending time with God is the ultimate joy. Living for God will give you and I many pleasures. But they only come as we love God first. You see, you and I will live for Him. You and I will enjoy being in His presence if we love Him. If other things occupy our time, if other things are more important to us, if we love other things more than we love God, we'll find those things occupy our time. And we'll seek to find pleasure and joy in those things at the expense of God. It's only as we love God and refuse to love pleasures themselves that we find real joy and real blessing. Now, for whatever we love more than God, we make a God. To that which we give our wholehearted affection is our God. And we can make it any number of things our gods. We can make money our God. We can make food our God. We can make ourselves our God. We can make our families our God, our employment our God. We can make sport our God. We can make all sorts of things our God at the expense of a relationship with the one and true God. I remember... We all serve a master, but we can't serve two masters. We have to choose to serve God or mammon. And if you and I will serve, choose to serve God, if you and I will choose to love Him, if you and I will daily get to know Him, and therefore knowing Him, loving Him, and as we love Him, we'll draw closer to Him, we'll find that in His presence is joy and pleasure forevermore. We can serve God or we can serve other gods. We can serve God or we can serve other faiths, other ideals. We can serve our own desires or we can serve our own so-called success. But to do all of that is to miss out on the pleasure of knowing God. One commentator said we can reject the liberty of Christ and turn, it to, other, turn to other things. Things that masquerade as freedom 
yet bind us to sin and judgment. That's why the Apostle John, when he wrote First uh, John in chapter 5, verse 21, he said to those that he was writing, he says, Keep, little children, keep thyself from idols. John commands you and I as believers to keep ourselves from idols because he knows, he knew how easy it was for believers to get distracted and make other things the idols in their lives at the expense of a relationship to God. We can only have a real relationship with God if the God is really the center of our lives. We don't have a real relationship with God who is really there. Idolatry, whether obvious, praying to a statue, or subtle, living for a career or some other thing than God, will always choke out our real relationship with God. So I wonder John ends his epistle by saying, keep thyself from idols. That's how we protect our relationship with God. And loving God unreservedly will help us keep ourselves from idols. When we put God's square and center in our lives, we make him the focus of our attention, we make him the focus of our love, then you and I will find joy and pleasure in his presence every day. Because there's only one God, we should love God unreservedly, but we should also love God entirely. As verse 5 goes on to say, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. To believers, not only should we love God unreservedly, but we should love God entirely, for he alone is God. By entirely we mean completely or exclusively. We should love him at the exclusion of all other Gods. We should love God exclusively. We should love God completely. Love God entirely. You know the repetition of the word all here in verse 5. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And that word all speaks of entire, exclusive, wholehearted, undivided love. Because he alone is God. As God, he deserves and is worthy of our exclusive, wholehearted, undivided love. God loves us. There's no doubt about that. And God loves us with a love that's unbelievable. He sent his son to die upon the cross of Calvary. God loved us even while you and I were sinners. Christ died for us. When you and I rejected him, we were enemies with God. God loved us with an unconditional love. God loves us wholeheartedly. And God's wholehearted love for us should not be responded to with a half-hearted response. We should love him unreservedly. We should love him entirely. We should love him wholeheartedly. I know to hear what we're commanded to do when it says that we're to love God wholeheartedly. It says we're to love God with all of our heart. This is the first command for you and I with this regard to loving God. Because the Lord our God is one Lord, we are to love that God. That's the response that God wants from us. And how are we to love him? We're to love him wholeheartedly. And to do that, we need to love him 
with all our heart. The heart here speaks of the center of all our emotions, our thoughts, our words, our deeds. If we truly love the Lord with all our heart, it will be reflected in our thoughts, in our words, in our deeds, and in our lives. Go with me to Luke 6.45, please. Luke chapter 6. And verse 45. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of, the heart, of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. The heart is this place that, where, where we speak from. This is uh, uh, the, the very thing that we are in our heart is what we really are. And what the Lord wants for you and I is he wants you and I to have a heart that is so much in love with him that our deeds and our thoughts and our words and our lives reflect that relationship with him, that we love God with all of our heart and is demonstrated in our lives. One preacher said this, God loved us and he alone deserves our wholehearted, undivided affection. The demand with all thy all the heart excludes all half-heartedness and any division of the heart in its love. And if you and I would get this kind of love, if you and I would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, it would transform us. It would have a make a transformation of our lives. It would result in radical change in us. This kind of love will cause us to yield to Christ. Now, if we're totally honest, the idea of transformation often scares us as believers. That's because we know that transformation will result in radical change in us that could be quite uncomfortable if you and I really do love God with all of our heart and then God starts to change the way we are. That transformation can often feel uncomfortable for you and I as believers. The reason for that is because you and I realize that transformation may cause major upheaval in our lives. It may cause major overhaul of our lives and our priorities and even our plans. This is what we want to do. This is what our desires are. This is what our motivation is. This is what our plans are. And then you and I start to get to know God and we start to grow in our love for God and we start to love God with all of our heart. And God now wants to transform you and I. Now we start to wonder whether that transformation is going to be something that is uncomfortable because now we have to start to change that we might reflect the very character of God in our lives. Now God's will becomes paramount. Now God's desire becomes paramount. Now God's plan for our life becomes the purpose of our lives. God's priorities and God's plans may differ from our own. And we may find that hard <coughs> and difficult. But if you and I really are going to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, then you and I need to allow God's will to be done in us. We need to allow God's plans to be our plan. Allow God's purpose to be our purpose. To allow God's direction to be our direction. We need to yield our heart to him. 
And if we truly love God entirely, then we must love him with all of our hearts. And when we do, as Romans 12.2 tells us, then we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. God will transform us so that our thinking changes. For as a man is in his heart, so thinketh he, so speaketh he, so is he. And as we start to be transformed, as we start to grow in love for God, God transforms us by the renewing of our minds and now we start to think like him, start to desire what he desires. And the heart is first mentioned as the seat of the emotions. Generally and of love in particular. We are to love God with all of our hearts. When we do that means we love, the one who loves God with all of his heart loves nothing in comparison to him. And nothing but in reference to him. It means those of us who love God with all our heart are ready to give up, to do, or suffer anything in order to please God. You and I will give up anything for God. You and I will suffer anything for God. You and I will seek to serve God at any cost because we love him. And we want to please him. We want to glorify him. This will change the way that we are as believers. If we truly do love the Lord our God with all of our heart, it will make a difference in the way that we see life. Love God entirely and completely and exclusively. We must love him with all of our heart and we must love him with all of our soul. It says then thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy Soul. The soul here represents the center of the personality of man. This is what we are as individuals. It speaks of the emotional center of our lives. It speaks of our emotions that we have daily. Here it means that love is to pervade the entire self-consciousness. In other words, every thought of ours ought to be governed by what God wants, what God's desire is. That we love God and that's the overarching thought pattern in our lives. What would the Lord have us to do? What will please Him? If I love God, what would He want me to do? How would He want me to live? What does God want me to do in my life? Young people, if you love God, you need to ask the Lord, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? What's your plan for my life? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to marry? What's your will for me, Lord? I love you, and because I love you, my desire, my emotion is, Lord, what is your will for me? Love with all the soul, as I said, is to means that love pervades the entire self-consciousness. If we respond to God with a wholehearted affection, then we must let our affections, a wholehearted love rather, then we must let our affections and even our emotions find the object of satisfaction in God. That you and I are not really satisfied until God is happy. That you and I are not really filled with joy till we know it is God's will for our lives. You and I get a better understanding of who God is 
when you and I get to know him better, then we'll move us to love him more each day. As you and I spend time in his word, as you and I spend time in prayer, as you and I spend time with him and we get to listen to his voice and we get to know him, then what it will do is it will cause us to love him more each day and that love will have evidence in our lives, not only in our heart but in our soul. Our desires will change. We'll want to please him. The believer who loves God with all of his soul or with all of his life will be ready to give up even his life for God's sake if that's God's will. You know, it was the love for God that empowered the saints through the church age to live boldly for Christ and even die for him. The motivation that led those saints, those martyred saints in the early church and indeed throughout church history, the saints who have gone to martyrdom, it's been, they've been driven by their love for God. The thing that moves them, the thing that caused them to stand up for righteousness, the thing that caused them to stand in the face of danger was their love for God. I mean, you look at even the Old Testament. Daniel and the lion's den, uh, Shadrach, Meach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace, the thing that moved these men to stand up against the face of opposition was their love for their God. And it's the love of God, the love of God in our hearts. When you and I love God with all of our soul, when you and I really do genuinely love Him, it will motivate us to live for Him. Look at first, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, if you would please. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul explains a little bit about this in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says this. He says, For, this, for which cause I also suffer these things. He's going to explain to us why he's willing to suffer. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. The Apostle Paul says, I'm willing to suffer because I know who I have believed. I know the God in which I trust. I know who he is. I have a relationship with God. I know him personally. I know him intimately. And because I know whom I have believed, I'm willing to suffer for him. That's how Paul could be bold in his service of the Lord. Even when he was facing death, you know, when he was stoned and left for dead in the gutter, when he was chased out of cities, and right here in 2 Timothy, as he's waiting for his execution, he's in prison, Roman jail, uh, not far now until he will finish his course, and he will die for the cause of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I know who I have believed, therefore I'm willing to suffer these things because I know the God I serve. I love my God. Paul knew that God, the God he was serving and that knowledge moved him to love God entirely, completely and exclusively. And so when God asked of him to suffer, the Apostle Paul said, I'm willing. And when we know how great God is, when God and His glory becomes the great fact of our lives, when we love Him with all of our soul, then you and I will truly 
live for him. To love God entirely, we must love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mights. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The word might here means strength. It speaks of our ability. It speaks of our power. As one commentator put it, he loves God with all his strength who exerts all the power, powers of his body and soul in the service of God, who employs in his service all his goods, his talents, his power, credit, authority, and influence. This word might speaks of us giving God our all. Our strength involves our body, it involves our muscles, it involves our lives. And to love God with all of our might is to give ourselves totally to his service. And this love of God with all of our might starts within. It starts in the heart and the soul, but then it will be evident in the body. If we love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul, the result of that will be that it will be evident in our lives, the way that we live in acts of loving service, we will serve God because we love Him. We will live for God because we love Him. We'll witness for God because we love Him. We'll do what we do because we love Him. Everything that follows from that, flows from that, it flows from our love for God. And when you and I love Him, it will be demonstrated in our lives daily. In other words, we offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service, as Romans 12.1 says. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 42, verse 1, 2, As the heart panted after the water books, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? The imagery here is of a deer in the desert, thirsting for water and the deer makes seeking and finding water his number one priority of his life the deer wants water the deer is seeking after that water panting after the water that's the number one priority that deer has in his life as he's in the desert what he wants to do is find water and when we love God with all of our strength with all of our might, seeking and serving Him will become our number one priority. It will be the number one passion of our lives because we love Him. Like the deer that panted after the water brooks, you and I will pant after God. We'll seek Him with a passion and we want to serve Him from the depths of our hearts for His glory. You see, Serving God is not about actions as such. Serving God is about relationship. When you and I love Him because we know Him, when you and I know this one true and living God, when we know that the Lord our God is one Lord, when we know there is no other God, then you and I will, and when you and I seek to serve Him because we love Him, 
When we get to know him, our love of him will grow. And as our love of him grows, it will have an impact upon our hearts and not upon our souls. And ultimately upon our strength, our might, we will serve him because we love him. It's easy to go through the motions, isn't it? To serve because we know that's what we're supposed to do as believers. You know, God doesn't want us to serve just because it's the right thing to do. He wants us to serve him because we love him. He wants you and I to grow in such a relationship with him that the love that we have for him becomes a wholehearted love, the same kind of love he had for us, that we would indeed serve him because we love him. What we believe about God does matter. For what we believe about him will determine how much we love him, how much we worship him, how much we serve him. For only when we know the God of the Bible, the one and only true God, will we truly love God. Because there is only one God, we should love him unreservedly, entirely with all of our heart, soul and might you know our eyes will be focused on one face and all we do is to be geared toward pleasing one God our heart our soul and all of our strength are to be dedicated to pleasing God that should be the overriding theme of our lives and when you and I consider all that God has done for us and all that Christ did for us on Calvary, it is the least that you and I can do is know him and love him. Beloved, let's obey Deuteronomy 6.5 and let's seek to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We thank you for the challenge to love you with all of our heart and soul and might. Lord, help us to get to know you, that we might grow in our love for you, that we might then love you with our heart and our soul, and that might be evident in our strength and our might day by day for your glory. Commend your word to our hearts this night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.